Now listen, all the stories contained within here are retold as they were originally recounted and may not be suitable for youngins or those with a sensitive disposition. Listen to discretion is advised, y'all. Well, my word, that storm sure is a stomping around out there like a spoiled child throwing a tantrum now, ain't it? Well, don't be shy. Come on over and sit a spell with me here next to the fire. While y'all are here drying out for a bit, let me tell y'all a hate story. Light sure is a funny thing, don't y'all think? All of our existence, we've used light to weld warm our hearts and to shoot away the darkness and all of those creepy crawly things that might look around in it. But, you know, for just as long, we've used light to, well, to help us talk to each other too. Oh, you know, like when y'all was kids and you'd shape your hands in front of candle flames to make shadows as you told scary stories. Or maybe you was extra fancy and y'all learned Morse code blink flashlights at your friends well past bedtime. <laughs> well, sometimes a lot can keep on the tail in a story well past the time it was snuffed out. Like when a message being told is so important, so necessary to tell that the light keeps on flickering and shining on even though there's no earthly explanation for how or why. Some folks over in Mako, North Carolina will tell y'all to this day that that's what Joe Baldwin was doing over there with his lantern down on those railroad tracks. That even after everything that happened, Joe kept his light shining bright so that nobody else would ever have to suffer the same way he did all those years ago. Life in reconstruction years weren't easy for most, but they were especially hard for those folks in the South. Now, both those good and bad, what were picking up the pieces left over after the end of the war? Why, even the railroad companies were having to tighten their belts just to make the ends meet. Everything had to run like a finely tuned watch, because, well, any little old hiccup could cost those a-running the trains a pretty penny. And that was doubly so for the Wilmington and Manchester Railroad. Why, everybody knew in them days that the Wilmington and Manchester was barely keeping their heads above water. Well, it was all they could do to pay those men a run in the trains, and sometimes they couldn't even do that. And maybe that's why it happened. Well, it's all speculation at this point, anyhow, but it certainly would make sense that it was just plain oversight that caused the whole mess in the first place. Oh, but I'm getting ahead of myself now, ain't I? Let's just start at the beginning now, shall we? In 1867, Farmer's Turnout, now that's just west of Wilmington, about 15 miles away or so. Well, it was barely even a whistle stop back then. Folks used to say that if you was riding the train, you couldn't even bat an eyelash before you passed that tiny little old station by. Why, most of the time, the only reason a train would stop at Farmer's Turnout would be to switch the workmen or to get a little water or coal or 
to drop off a bit of mail. Now the story goes that late one summer night a cotton train stopped at Farmer's Turnout for some water. And while the train was stopped, Joe Baldwin, now he was one of the brakemen for the train, you know. He climbed up in that old caboose car of the train after the end of his long shift. And that poor boy barely made it into his bunk before he was fast asleep. Once the tender was full, the train pulled off out of Farmer's Turnout and headed on down the tracks from Manchester, South Carolina. There's some folks that say it was a jolt that woke Joe up. Others say that it was in his sleep he could tell that the train wasn't swaying anymore and the stillness startled him awake. But it don't matter anyway. All we know for sure is that Joe woke up in a loose caboose. In that instant, that boy jumped up out of that bunk like the devil himself done pinched Joe on the seat and he bolted out of that door onto the caboose's platform. Sure enough, that car was stalled all alone and the rest of the train was already miles down the track. Joe looked back towards the barely visible lights of Farmer's Turnout through the dense trees and figured it was about a mile, about a mile and a half away. Just as Joe headed back into the caboose to grab his kit and lantern so he could hoof it back to the station, he heard a sound that made his blood run cold. The cannon wail of a train whistle behind him. Suddenly, Joe remembered the schedule. There was an overnight passenger train running on that same track just behind his. Now, I'm pretty sure there were a million thoughts that ran through Joe's head in that moment. But it was common knowledge that Joe wasn't the panicking sort. He could always be trusted to keep steady and true, even in the most stressful and frightening of predicaments. But this, well, this was the most terrifying situation Joe had ever found himself in. There was absolutely no time for him to lose. The second his feet hit that gravel, Joe started running hell for leather down those tracks so he could set the rail torpedoes and flares. But Joe didn't have to take half a dozen steps before he saw the lights of that passenger train approaching Farmer's Turnout. For just a second, Joe spared a prayer for that speeding train. He hoped against all hope that it would stop at that tiny station, but Joe knew in his bones that that train was going way too fast for it to stop there and his heart sank like a stone in a pond. You see, Joe knew in that moment he had a choice to make. Run away and survive, or die and save lives. Oh sure, Joe was a bit of a greenhorn, but he'd been round long enough to know that a mile or so between him and a station wasn't enough room to stop a train in time to avoid hitting a stall of caboose, no matter how you slice the bacon. If Joe did nothing, if he took tail and ran, he knew that passenger train would careen into that caboose at full steam and most likely derail, killing many folks and maiming the rest. Joe also knew that if he stood on that caboose's platform and signaled to that speeding train with his lantern, the engineer would see the light and could slow the train down enough to avoid jumping the tracks, even if the engine would still smack into that caboose and most likely in Joe's life. Now that sort of choice would be pretty impossible for most folks to make, but not for Joe Baldwin. Mm -mm. No, sir. Why, Joe didn't even give it a second thought as he dropped that kit to the side of the tracks and scurried back up onto the caboose's platform. 
he could see that passenger train speeding ever closer to him. So with a shaking hand, Joe started waving that old lantern of his back and forth to warn the train of the danger that awaited him. That's said by some folks that Joe could barely draw breath as he waved that lantern high. He told his mama and daddy goodbye on the wind, and he begged the good Lord above to never let his young brother Carl ever work on trains. Tears slid down Joe's cheeks as he closed his eyes and kept on waving that lantern over his head. But just then, Joe heard the long pull of a downbrake whistle and the screeching of the passenger train's brakes as it bailed toward that lonesome caboose. For just a second, Joe was relieved because he knew them folks on them cars would have just a few scrapes and scratches, but in the end they'd come out of all of this with a grand story to tell. But that relief was short-lived, because just as Joe opened his eyes, he saw that train's engine grinding way too fast towards him, with sparks shooting off them locked-up wheels like a furious demon flying out of hell. Now, thankfully, Joe's light had alerted the engineer in time to slow that train enough to keep it on the tracks. But that little caboose, well, it was polarized. There were a few injuries suffered by the passengers and crew on the train, mostly by the pole brakemen who were tossed around on the top of the train as they worked the brakes. Poor old fellas. <laughs> the engine man and the brakeman, now they did have a few broken bones from the impact, but what with the bulk of the engine between them and Joe's caboose, they were just fine. It took a while for folks to sift through the wreckage over the next few days, but eventually somebody saw a faint glow underneath some rubble, and when they dug down a bit, they found a hand clutching a lantern that was still burning. When they was finally able to pull Joe's body out of the mangled mess of iron and steel, folks was deeply troubled by the fact that Joe's head was cut clean off of his body and nowhere to be found. Well, they even formed a search party to look for that poor boy's head for another three days before they gave up the hunt. God love him for it. By then, though, everybody had decided that the best thing to do was to just lay Joe Baldwin to rest along with his lantern at Farmer's Turnout so that he could find some comfort and peace in the afterlife. Word of the tragedy at Farmer's Turnout spread to the coast, and the news caused a deep sadness to creep all over the county. Society folks came over from Wilmington to pay Joe their respects, and folks from far away as Elizabethtown and Whiteville came to his burial at the station. When not one soul from that passenger train left Farmer's Turnout before they thanked Joe for giving his life to spare theirs. For many folks, Joe was a hero, and soon the story of his courageous sacrifice spread all over North Carolina like floodwaters rushing over parched land. But that story, well, it quickly turned into a legend that is still told in some form to this day. Now, about a month or so after the tracks had been cleared of the wreckage and life had started settling back into a quiet routine, some highly unusual happenings began around Farmer's Turnout. It's been heard told that late one dark, moonless night, the station master was walking his rounds and when he noticed a pale yellow light bobbing back and forth on the tracks. 
He said as he watched the light, it got closer and closer to him till it made the hairs on his neck stand on end, and he ran back to the station as quick as he could, just to knowing that light was chasing him the whole way. But once he was safely locked inside, the station master peeked outside the window to look for the light, only to find it had disappeared. After that, folks started seeing the light regularly going up and down the tracks near farmers' turnout with nothing or nobody moving it. And rumors started going around that the light was none other than Joe Baldwin swinging around that lantern of his. From then on, different stories about the ghostly light from beyond the grave began spreading as quickly as Joe's tragic end. There's some stories that warn that if you get too close to the tracks that Joe will chase you off by any means necessary. Then there's other stories that tell of folks that have a terrible sadness in the hearts and a deep sense of loss in the spot it said that Joe died in. Why, there's even some stories that say that Joe's just out there hunting for his head in the marsh next to the tracks. <laughs> but me? Well, I just think that Joe's spirit was restless with worry. So on dark nights, Joe would wander out with his lantern to try and warn trains speeding by farmers' turnout that weren't being careful enough. Now, as the years mosey on by, most folks that didn't mind Joe swinging that old ghostly lantern of his in the middle of the night. Why, there was just a few daring types that were to go out a searching for that restless glow from time to time. You know, for a bit of adventure. But after a while, well, Joe and his lantern started becoming a bit of a problem for the railroad. You see, when an engineer would notice that light of swinging along the tracks, he'd hit that whistle to blast a downbreak signal as quick as he could. Once the train had finally come to a stop, the workmen would search around only to realize there wasn't any danger at all. Just old Joe carrying on in the night. So the real folks would have to come up with some sort of a plan right quick to work around Joe's helpfulness. And they decided they'd use two lights for their signals around farmers' turnout. That way, Joe could just keep on shining, but there wouldn't be any more confusion for the trains. Turned out that plan worked out just fine for everybody. Joe kept on swinging his ghost light, and the trains kept on running right on time. Finally, in 1871, the Wilmington and Manchester Railroad was bought up and converted into the Atlantic Coastline Railroad. Farmers' Turnout soon became a bustling stop for the community and was eventually renamed the Mako Station. As more and more folks came through the area, the story of Joe Baldwin and his mysterious ghost light spread further and further till he, <laughs> most of the South came to know it as the legend of the Mako Light. You know, for over a hundred years, Joe kept on a-swinging that old lantern of his. While generations of folks from all over have told the story of that old lantern gliding up and down the tracks and have passed Joe's legend on to their children and grandchildren till the whole affair's become nothing more than a bedtime tale. But for those who have seen the glow for themselves, well, <laughs> they know that it's more than just a tale. <laughs> Why, some people with fancy titles and degrees will try and tell y'all that the Mako light is just nothing but a bunch of swamp gas or static electricity. 
But I say that's just a bunch of hogwash. Want to know why? Well, that light kept on shining right up until the railroad folks pulled them tracks right on up to make room for a new road back in the 1970s. Then all of a sudden, the glow was never seen again. And why do y'all think that is? I say it's cause there ain't no more tracks for Joe to protect anymore. And now that old boy can finally rest in peace. Hey y'all, I just wanted to say welcome and thank y'all for stopping by. I'm Miss Dahlia and this is Southern Hate Stories. This channel's a home for all the American Southern legends that I've gathered over the years that I want to share with you kind folks. But if you'd rather listen to my stories while y'all are stuck in traffic or doing a little workout, well, that's just fine by me. Won't y'all head on over to that old podcast player of yours and search for Southern Hate Stories there, or you can find all my tales at anchor.fm forward slash Southern Hate Stories. By the way, do you happen to have a local or regional hate story you want to share? I'm always looking for Southern tales to entertain y'all with, so if you're willing, won't you write me at dlewmacavoy at gmail.com and let me know all about the ghosties in your garden. Maybe we can find a place for your story here on the channel sometime. And you know, I'd love to know what you think of Southern hate stories, so won't you leave a comment or a review so y'all can help me build this into something we can all love and enjoy together. And while y'all are over that way, make sure you take a gander at the description of the channel's homepage and visit all the lovely individuals who help make Southern Hate Stories possible. But mostly, I just want to thank y'all so very, very much for coming over and listening. I can't tell y'all how much it means to this old black soul of mine to share all these wonderful stories I grew up listening to with you kind people. Now go on and have a lovely day, you hear? But you better make sure you mosey on back over here in two weeks for another hate story to creep up under y'all's skin.